You are listening to the audio from Grace Bible Church. This audio message is a recording from our Sunday morning worship service. We hope you enjoy. Church, in, uh, on April 26, 2019, a movie was released called Avengers Endgame. You may have heard of it. This highly anticipated motion picture was the culmination of over a decade's worth of superhero movies, all of which built upon one another. And it quickly became a worldwide phenomenon. In fact, this film generated so much buzz that those involved with it were sworn to secrecy concerning its plot, direction, and, of course, its ending. Prior to its release, there was even an ad campaign where the actors and directors asked fans not to spoil the endgame for other people. And get this, year to date, the film has earned almost $2.8 billion dollars. So why did it have such a huge global impact? Well, because throughout the course of of a decade, millions upon millions of people got invested in this fictional world, and they wanted to know how it was all going to end, even though it's still going on. Well, church, in the same way, there are also millions upon millions upon millions of people who are invested in the real world, and they want to know how this is all going to end. In fact, given the events of this past year, many have even wondered if we're living in the end game. I mean, think about it. The whole world is traumatized. Literally, the whole world is traumatized right now by by the stress of the pandemic. We've seen an increase in natural disasters. Depression and suicide rates have skyrocketed. Terrorism is on the rise. Political tension has polarized our nation and our churches. Religious persecution is growing by the minute. Our culture is trying to redefine or completely erase gender. Who would have thought we'd ever see that day, right? There are riots on the streets. Law enforcement is being attacked. Literally, the people that are supposed to protect us are being attacked. And evil behavior is not only prevalent but it's being promoted and even celebrated in our society. Church, there's no doubt about it. There are demonic forces working overtime in our world right now. No doubt about it. And listen, I get that present circumstances can be very discouraging. But as believers, listen, as believers, we need to learn to view them in light of God's endgame. Billy Graham said this. He said, one of the best ways to get rid of discouragement is to remember that Christ is coming again soon. The most thrilling, glorious truth in all the world is the second coming of Jesus Christ. When we look around and see pessimism on every side, we should remember that the Bible is the only book in the world that predicts the future. The Bible is more modern than tomorrow morning's newspaper. The Bible accurately foretells the future, and it says that the consummation of all things shall be the coming again of Jesus Christ to this earth. Friends, in the end, all things will be made right and new. But until that day, and this is where we're at, until that day, we must remember that what we're going through now, which includes the good, the bad, and the ugly, 
is all part of a much bigger plan that must play itself out until the end. This morning, we're beginning a new sermon series entitled, What Lies Ahead? And it's a study on what scripture teaches concerning the end times and the return of Christ. And unlike the many secrets that surrounded the end of the movie, the Bible does not keep many secrets concerning the end of the world, at least as we know it. Why? Because God wants as many of his people to be prepared for his arrival. In fact, in today's introductory study on the last days, we're going to learn how wickedness in the world, like we're seeing today, is in many ways indicative of Christ's return. And in doing so, we're going to be reminded of an important truth to remember, and it's this. In these last days, we must look different. This is what we need to remember. In these last days, we must look different. So if you will, I want you to open up your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 3. Uh, it's, if you don't have your own copy of Scripture, the one right in front of you should be page 996. And as you're turning there, I'm just going to pray one more time before we enter into to this study. So Lord God, I want to thank you for the opportunity to open up your word this morning. And I pray, Lord God, that you would speak through me, speak to me and to our people. I pray, Lord, that I would get out of the way, and God, that your word would just speak for itself this morning, and that your, your spirit would just uh, stir our hearts and reveal to us things, God, that, that we need to be uh, dealing with today, and we just commit this time uh, to your sovereign care. And all God's people said, amen. Okay, so, so, so by its very nature, this whole series is going to be topical in nature. We're going to be kind of all over the map in Scripture, depending on what topic we're going to be speaking of. And because we're not in a book, like we've been uh, the last couple of studies, I want to explain briefly the context of what's going on in 2 Timothy 3, so at least you kind of understand where Paul's coming from when he's writing this letter. So 2 Timothy is the Apostle Paul's final letter. Uh, Some have even called it his last will and testament. And it was written to his beloved son in the faith, Timothy, who was experiencing discouragement in the ministry, health problems. He was probably very close to just throwing in the towel saying, I'm done with this thing. And so the purpose of this letter was to encourage Timothy to stand strong, to stay committed, and to suffer well for the sake of the gospel. And part of Paul's encouragement was for warning Timothy that in the last days, conditions will be bleak. Nevertheless, he should remain faithful to his calling. And so it's with this context that we're going to read today's passage, and then we'll spend some time breaking it down. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. Paul writes this, But understand this, that in the last days there will be times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Avoid such people. There's a story told of an ostrich who overheard Chicken Little say that the sky was falling. Fearing for his life, the ostrich hid his head in the sand. Thinking to himself, the ostrich said, I'll be safe if I don't see anything bad. And so the ostrich kept his head in the sand. One of his animal friends walked by and said, Ostrich, why is your head in the sand? With a voice muffled by the sand, the ostrich said, Chicken Little said the sky was falling, and if I can't see it, I'll be safe. 
But Ostrich said to the animal friend, I think Chicken Little was wrong. The sky's not falling. Why don't you look up for yourself and see? And the friend walked on. Another animal came upon the ostrich who still had his head in the sand. Ostrich, why is your head buried in the sand, said the animal. And again, with a muffled voice, because if I can't see the end of the world, I won't get hurt. Great idea, said the lion. Then he took a vicious bite and had the ostrich for dinner. You see, church, the moral of the story is that instead of living in denial and burying our heads in the sand, we must keep our heads up and be aware of, the, of our surroundings lest we get taken by surprise. And this is especially true concerning the days leading up to Christ's return. And so found within today's passage are three realities concerning the last days. Let's begin by looking at the first, and it's the concept of the last days, the concept. Look again at verse 1. But understand this, that in the last days, there will come times of difficulty. Now, before we get too ahead of ourselves, we need to clarify this little phrase, the last days. You see, in Scripture, last days can have several meanings depending on the context of the passage. Well, within this context, within this passage, the phrase last days actually refers to a period of time. We call this period of time the church age. It represents the time period between the resurrection of Christ and the return of Christ. And so in a broad sense, for those of you who are sitting around wondering, are we living in the last days? The answer is yes. In fact, we've been living in the last days for the last 2,000 years. Of course, because of this, many Unbelievers will mock and and ridicule Christians and try to discourage us. I mean, after all, 2,000 years is a long time, and not much has happened, right? But here's what I love about God's word, church. God knew they were coming. God knew these scoffers were coming, so he took care of that in his word. I want you guys to actually turn to 2 Peter. It's page 1019 in your pew Bible. If you have your own Bible, I don't know what page it's on. But uh, 2 Peter uh, chapter 3 page uh, 1019 in your pew Bible. I want you to see this. 2 Peter 3. It's just a few books over from where we're at. Look at, we're going to read verses 3 through 8. So here's what he says. He says, Knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing. They will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. They will say, Where is this promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. Where is your God? Nothing's changing, right? For they deliberately overlook this fact, that the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of the water and through water by the word of God. And that by means of these, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. But by the same word, the heavens and the earth that now exist are stored up for fire being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. Here's what I want you to see. But don't overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and as a thousand years is as one day. You see, for us, it's like 2,000 years have come and gone, right? Long time. But for God, it's like two days. So perspective, right? And look, at even if it was longer than that, even if it was longer, I want you to consider how good our God is. 
and consider the reason why God is waiting patiently before his return. Look at verse 9. It says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward, what does it say? You! He's patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Friends, here's the present reality. You ready for this? The Lord could return at any moment. And on a side note, this is a little bit of some free advice. If you ever come across somebody who's claiming to know the day or the hour he's going to return, just run the opposite direction because they're weirdos, right? We've had enough of those in our culture. But here's the deal. We are one, one day. We, this is what we know for sure. We know we're one day closer than we were yesterday, aren't we? So the present reality is that the Lord could return at any moment. However, every moment that he chooses not to is another moment for you and for those who you love to repent and make peace with him. And listen, I admit there has been many moments. First to admit, guilty as charged. There has been many moments over this last year where I just got sick of it. And I'm just like, Lord, just return already. I'm so done, right? But then when I consider my loved ones who have not yet received Christ, I'm relieved that he hasn't returned yet. Because make no mistake about it, when he does return, those who don't believe in Jesus are going to endure some terrible judgment. Look at verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, And then the heavens will pass away with a roar and heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved and the earth and all the works that are done on it will be exposed. There's a lot there, but the point is judgment is coming. And so church, all this to say, in a broad sense, yes, we're living in the last days. However, scripture gives specific signs that we ought to be looking for that indicate that we may be living in the last part of the last days. And Paul is going to address some of those signs in the verses ahead. So look again at verse 1. The first part says, But understand this, in the last days there will be what? Times of difficulty. Times of difficulty. You know, in every generation, there's an older generation who complains about the younger generation, right? Every generation's got them. Because with each passing generation, there's some unwelcome changes. Now, some of these changes are good and some of these changes are bad. However, over the last few generations, it seems like the bad changes, and I'm not talking about silly changes, I'm talking about behavioral changes. It seems like some of the bad changes, the behavioral changes, are outweighing the good changes. I mean, I'm starting to become that older person that's complaining about the next generation. And I'm just a young whippersnapper-ish. And while this could be disheartening, we look at what's going on in our world, our culture, we look at the behavioral changes, while while this could be disheartening and discouraging, it should not be surprising because Paul warned uh, about these things. He spoke on these things uh, when he was speaking about the last days. The bad changes are going to continue to intensify. That phrase, times of difficulty, it refers to perilous seasons. Perilous seasons. Some have pictured these seasons as demonic, ugly, infected, and even violent. And truth be told, 
let's just be honest, over the last 2,000 years, our world has experienced these types of seasons, all of them. It's, there's been periods of, of really like crazy demonic influence in our world and just, just evil and all this crazy stuff. Our world has seen that over the last 2,000 years. There's also been seasons of peace. However, when the seasons of peace become less frequent and evil behavior becomes more frequent and intensified, it's indicative that Christ's return is imminent. And so this leads us to the second reality in, in today's passage in 2 Timothy. You could turn back there to 2 Timothy because uh, that's where we're going to be spending our, the rest of our time. Second reality, which is the characteristics of the last days. Let's see what the last days, uh, or, or I should say the last part of the last days is going to start looking like. Let's read again verses 2 through 5. For people will be lovers of self and lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving, good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Church, there were two preachers standing beside a mountain uh, mountain road, and they were holding two signs, and one sign said, turn around before it's too late, and the other sign said, the end is near. And all of a sudden, a car came speeding around the curve with the driver ignoring the signs and mocking the preachers and laughing as he raced by without ever slowing down. A few moments later, there was a sound of screeching tires and twisting steel and breaking glass and a crunch of metal. And then one preacher said to the other, do you think we ought to change our signs to say bridge out instead? Church, found within these verses are 19 signs. Sinful attitudes or behaviors would be a better way of putting it, which characterize the days leading up to Christ's return. And we'd be wise to pay attention to them because all of them look strikingly similar to what we're experiencing in our culture and even some of our churches today. Now, for the sake of time, I'm not going to focus on all of these characteristics. There's 19. You guys do not want a 19-point sermon today. But I'd like to focus on three that I believe are intensifying at a much more frequent rate. So let's look again at verse 2, right at the beginning. For people will be lovers of self. Lovers of self. You know, when I was in high school, I distinctly remember going to a friend of mine's house. Me and my buddy went went over to to another friend's house. and, And we found a cassette tape for the college students. A cassette tape is this plastic little thing that you, it's got wheels on it and some, some ribbon. Um, you can look it up on YouTube. But anyway, we found this cassette tape, and it was labeled, it says something like motivation or something on there. And so like, hmm, what is this? And we used to be able to record on these cassette tapes too, like our voices. It was, it was pretty cool. And so anyway, my buddy, my buddy whose house we were at, he wasn't around, so we grabbed this cassette tape, and we stuck it in the tape player to see what was on it. And, uh, and we were shocked. We were shocked to hear what was on it. It was my friend's voice, his own voice, talking to himself, saying things like, you are awesome. You are the man. Everyone loves you. You are amazing. And so as you can imagine, we did not let him off the hook for that one. Uh, we're no longer friends. But anyway, um, you know, we have, a, we have a lot of people in our world that are just totally in love with themselves, in, in all seriousness. In fact, the self-love movement has never been more rampant. Every day. We're bombarded with messages like, be proud of who you are. You cannot love others until you love yourself. 
Follow your heart. Be true to yourself. And here's the thing. At first glance, it seems like self-love and having good self-esteem is a positive thing, right? But here's the problem. It's not biblical. It's not biblical. And it ends up hurting us in the long run. What do I mean? Are we supposed to hate ourselves? No, we're not supposed to hate ourselves. Listen to what A.W. Tozer said. He said, the labor of self-love is a heavy one indeed. Think whether much of your sorrow has not arisen from someone speaking slightingly of you. As long as you set yourself up as a little God to which you must be loyal, how can you ever hope to find inward peace? You see, church, the secret to having peace within our souls, which extends to peace within our society, isn't to raise a generation who loves themselves more. It's to raise a generation who loves God more. Jesus said it best in Matthew twenty two thirty seven. He said, and he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and with all your mind. You know, one of our elders, he, he says he prays this over his kids every day. And Carrie and I got into the same habit, not as, probably not as consistent habit as we'd like, but what a prayer to pray over your kids. <sighs> Lord, no matter what goes on, no matter what happens in this world, doesn't matter, come heaven, hell, or high water. May my kids love you with all their heart and soul and mind and strength, right? What a prayer. You see, Jesus taught that when the primary object of our love is the Lord, everything else will fall into place. Because it's in him that we find our true worth. Not this artificial worth that the world tries feeding us, but we find our true worth in Christ, and in turn we develop a healthy view of ourselves and others. But sadly, in the last days, self-love appears to win the day. Let's look at the second characteristic in verse 3. It says, not loving good. Not loving good. You know, in this last year, we've heard a lot about contract tracing, right? Not contract, contact tracing. When it comes to uh, the plethora of problems within our culture, it could all be traced back to, to the same source. You know what that is? Sin. Which is rebellion against God and his ways. In fact, over the last seven years alone, we've seen a remarkable increase in antagonism toward things that God has declared good. Actually, it's, it's more than just antagonism. It's straight up hatred. Hatred toward the moral absolutes of God's word, which define things like marriage and gender and sexuality and the sanctity of life and the role of the church and so forth. Now, to a degree, this hostility toward good things has always had its ebbs and flows in our culture because we live in a sinful world, right? However, the level of intensity is increasing at a rapid rate, isn't it? I mean, like, we're seeing things in today's world. I couldn't, like, Hollywood could not conjure up on their best day. Yet here it is. We're seeing it happen before our eyes in today's world. But it's unsustainable. You see, when there is no truth and when everybody has their own truth, that's not sustainable. It's building your house on sand. It's all going to plummet at some point. The prophet Isaiah forewarned long ago in Isaiah 5.20 said, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. You see, when Scripture uses woe terminology, there are basically two meanings. One is, uh, is sorrow for what has happened to the unfortunate, and the other is a warning of coming disaster. 
And here Isaiah is referencing the latter. Church, unless there's repentance and forget our world, I'm talking about the church. Unless there's repentance in the church, which then translates into the world, it's only a matter of time before we reach the point of no return. In fact, referring to sinful attitudes and actions, Colossians 3.6 says, because of these, the wrath of God is coming. It's coming. Let's look at one more characteristic, verse 5. Having the appearance, the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. You know, a few years, a few years ago, my family and I went uh, for a hike in one of the state parks in the Florida Keys. So, way down there. And their state parks aren't very big because the Keys are pretty small. But we went for a little hike. And after hiking a considerable distance, we met up with one of the park rangers. And he warned us not to touch any of the plant life because it was infested with poison wood. Right, kids? Poison wood. He said, poison wood, it's everywhere. That's how he spoke. Poison wood. And I said, man, I said, that would be great information to have known before we started hiking on the trail. And he responded by telling me that there were signs right at the beginning of the trailhead. And so once we got back, I looked all over for those supposed signs. And after a few minutes, I found one small sign low to the ground, obscured by plant life, which said, danger, poison wood. Church, all this to say, when it comes to the last days, there are many signs or indicators around us, and some are easier to spot, while others require a bit more diligence. But nevertheless, they're there, and we be prudent to look for them, lest we get poisoned. You see, this last characteristic may be harder to spot than others, but it's vital that we keep a lookout for it because it has the potential to inflict the most harm. And it has to do with this counterfeit spirituality that's not just going to invade the world, it's going to invade the church. The phrase, having the appearance of godliness, includes all the typical associations that come with being spiritual. And so from a Christian standpoint, it's things like going to church and knowing Christian doctrine and lingo and worshiping and, and so forth. It very much looks the part. In other words, in the last days, there's going to be religious leaders and those who follow them who will walk the walk and talk the talk like Christians. But couldn't be further from Christians when you start peeling through the layers and seeing what they actually believe. Jesus warned of this in Matthew 7, 15. He said, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. The phrase denying its power suggests that even though these people may appear godly, They deny the power that comes through the Holy Spirit to take the word of God and transform lives. Now you would think at first glance, man, these people are easy to spot. I could could pick them out of 100 people in a room. I could find them. No, you'd be wrong. They're not that easy to spot. Church, you've got to remember the enemy is cunning and deceitful and he's not going to easily give himself away. Jude 1.4 says, For certain people have what? Crept in unnoticed. Who long ago were... designated for this condemnation of ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality, deny our only Master and Lord Jesus Christ. Church, the point is we need to be on alert. Knowing this is a reality in, in the last days, we must remain diligent. And this leads us to one more point or reality concerning the last days. It's the command for last days. The command. Look at the end of verse 5. Paul said, avoid such people. You know, church, we all have things that 
trigger sinful desires within us. And most of us know exactly what those things are. And we know that if we go near those things, we're going to fall. And that's why with the power of the Holy Spirit, we should aim to avoid those things at all costs. Well, here in today's passage, Paul described a unique class of evil people. And he gave a very practical command for all believers to follow. Avoid them at all costs. Avoid them. Why? Because 1 Corinthians 15.33 says, Do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good or ruins good morals. You see, as believers, we want to be sure that we don't fall into the sinful patterns and behaviors that Paul just described. We also want to be sure that we don't fall captive to false teaching or false religion. On the contrary, through the good, through the bad, and through the ugly, we're called to stay faithful in our walk with the Lord. Perhaps Ephesians 5, 15 through 16 says it best. Paul said, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of time, because why? The days are evil. And this leads us back to today's truth to remember. In these last days, we must look different. Now, church, let me give you a little disclaimer as we close. In the coming weeks, we're going to learn. This was just kind of the, the intro, right? But in the coming weeks, we're going to, to really learn what lies ahead. And we're going to find out that things are going to get a lot worse before they get better. And I get that this could be cause for concern or discouragement, which is why I want to close by reminding you of this amazing promise found in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 9 through 11. Look at this. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. This is not cause for discouragement, friends. God has not destined us for wrath, but for salvation. And so when we get discouraged and we're struggling and we're going to because life is hard out there, we got to build each other up by reminding them, like Billy Graham said, that quote I read at the beginning, the most encouraging truth in the world is that Jesus is coming back. So we just kind of have to ride this wave until he does. You see, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you don't need to fear the end game. However, if you're not a believer, then you have everything to fear because you remain under God's judgment. Let me tell you, all that can change right here, right now. John 3.36 says, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. And whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Friend, if you want to be spared from what's coming and receive eternal life, you must believe that you are a sinner and that Christ died for your sins and ask his forgiveness and trust in him and him alone for your salvation. And when you do, you can be sure that you're saved. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever, whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. God is being patient. Remember that verse in 2 Peter? Toward who? Toward you. 
not wishing that you should perish, but that you should reach repentance. Is that you this morning? Is God waiting on you? Friend, we don't know when Jesus is going to return. I want to encourage you to place your faith in Christ this morning. This time I'd like to call the praise team forward. And I'm just going to pray for our church. Pray for anyone here that that maybe is on the cusp of, of trusting Christ. And then we're going to close with, with singing. Let's pray. Lord God, I want to thank you for this morning, for the opportunity to jump into your word. And God, I, I'm thankful that, that your word is more modern or more timely than tomorrow morning's newspaper. More accurate than tomorrow morning's newspaper, God. That we could, uh, in your grace and your mercy, you're allowing us to be able to look ahead and, and be prepared, God, for your arrival. And so, Lord, when you come, whether that be today, tomorrow, or 100 years from now, God, may you find a people prepared and and waiting and ready for your return. And until that day, Lord, help us to live differently. And God, I pray for anyone that's here this morning that has just not placed their faith in Christ. Lord, that that perhaps this morning is, is they're feeling that tug on their heart to believe in the Lord Jesus and be saved. I pray that even right now in their seat they would call upon you to save them. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Grace Bible Church. For more information about our church and our ministries, you can visit gracebiblepa.com.